Hello and welcome to Worship at Grace United Church. I'm Adam Olivero, Chair of the Ministry and Personnel Committee at Grace. Right now, currently, our Reverend McCall Cottrell is on vacation until July 19th, and in the meantime, the Reverend Tesca Hackshaw is available for pastoral care. Tesca's contact information can be found on our Grace United Church Facebook page or through our weekly emails. And speaking of our weekly emails, I encourage you to sign up for the Grace United email community to get more information about upcoming services and activities here at Grace United Church. Today we are happy to share with you a previously recorded service. The service is from October 27th of 2019 and celebrating Grace United's 161st anniversary. We also had a very special guest speaker at the service, Reverend Dr. Jen Garvin, the Regional Minister of the Disciples of Christ Church. Please enjoy this service from October 27th, 2019. have one big celebration today. It is our 161st anniversary. I love looking at this, this banner here because it tells, it tells our story and image of the churches that came together, that formed Trinity United Church and then formed Grace United Church. We remember that we are a congregation made up of, of people from many different places, many different backgrounds, either from one of these church or has moved into our community and brings the history and the, and the passion and the faith of our place to this place. This past spring at the Worship of Music Committee, we were trying to think of who do we want to invite for our, our guest preacher this year. And, um, and Willie said that she had gone last summer to her sister's church in the Maritimes and she heard a wonderful preacher, um, Jen Garbin, from the Disciples of Christ Church. And I, knew, I thought, I know Jen. <laughs> Jen and I were classmates at Emmanuel College um, uh, a long time ago. <laughs> I was thinking, I, st I started 16 years ago um, at Emmanuel, so if you know anyone in your family or your life that's starting to drive now, that's when Jen and I first met, <laughs> when they were born. So, um, and, and hearing, you know, when you, when you share in, in theological something, you, you get to explore faith together and, and hear the wisdom people bring. So I'm, I'm very happy to to welcome Reverend Doctor, she got doctorate in there so after as well, um, Jen Garbin. Um, I meant to write down your, your title, position, regional min I'm the regional minister for the region of Canada for the Christian Church Thank you. Welcome, Jen. Welcome on behalf of all of our church here and at home. Um, let, us, let us give a warm welcome to Jen. Following worship, there will be coffee and some goodies as well, so please stay around and, and um, enjoy a visit. Let's take a moment to center ourselves, to let go of all the, the busyness or, or um, the to-do lists that, that sit with us today as we center ourselves here in God's presence and the presence of one another.
we remember that God is here and God is now, we are here and we are now. Come, let us worship. And as we gather and worship, we remember that for thousands of years, First Nations people have walked upon this land and their relationship with the land is at the center of their lives and their spirituality. As we worship together today, we recognize that we are gathered on the traditional territory of the Haudenosaunee, Ojibwe, and Anishinaabek people and the Métis people. We pray that God may continue to lead us into working towards right relationship. And friends, let's join our, our lives together in prayer. Let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you for drawing us into community in this congregation that has been a place called home for so many. Inspire us with the lives of those before us, those ancient ones who have lived here May you cha change us with a vision to continue here as a constant presence for those who travel through life, a community of welcome that cares for all our neighbors, believing into what is still yet to be. Teach us to May we hear your word, a comforting word in its familiar sound, yet a disturbing word in what it speaks anew and longs for us to become. Hold us in the faith of our prayers, those who chose to meet you today in this congregation, who recognize this same place as a place of love, where your miracle May we be moved by that grace into the places that make up our community, sharing what you have given abundantly, like an ever-flowing stream. Call us from our past, through the voice of our ancestors, in the songs they have sung, and the prayers they have spoken, that have shaped peace within this place. And may we join our voices with their voices. God bless our worship. Bless our community and bless the ministry we share. Amen. We light our Christ candles, remembering Jesus' word, and we're two or more come together. In his way, he is there. May the light of Christ shine brightly in our lives and all around us. And let us turn and look at one another and think of those who are worshiping at home and say to one another, the peace of Christ be with you. Tired? <laughs> he brought a friend with you today. Perfect. I know you always do. I look forward to seeing what you bring him. I have a special friend with me today. I want to introduce you to her. She, this is the first time you've been in this church? Yes. This yeah. is the first time my friend Jen here has been here at this church. 
So she's going to share the children's time with you today, and then we have to teach her our special lesson at the end, okay? So do you remember that part? Okay. Cool. This is my friend Jen. Hi, I'm McCall's friend Jen. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? Hi, I'm pretty good, thank you. I drove up from Windsor this morning, so I'm a little tired. So, a little tired. So I've had a lot of coffees. So I'm a little buzzed too. Right? Okay, so I have a question for you. Oh, Midwest Street, what are your names? Riley. Riley. Ainsley. Claire. Erica. Claire. Claire, I'm sorry. Yeah, my, my ears don't work very well after being in the car so long. Nice to meet you all. So thank you for coming out today. I have a question for you. If you were a piece of paper, what is the best thing you could be? Yeah. Yes! Okay, thank you. You're the first person ever to get it on the first row. Not that there's any wrong answers, but... So if you were a paper airplane, I'm sure you could be like, you know, a letter to the Prime Minister or something like that, but that's kind of boring. <laughs> right? Oh, I could tell you some stories about paper airplanes and university and stuff like that, but... Those are for another day. Okay, so if you were a paper airplane, no, it doesn't bother you. <laughs> they were like, oh, it's too much distraction. Yeah, that's, Maybe that's a, you know, it's exactly right. But in this case, we need the air, paper airplane because it's going to tell a story for us today. So I'm not very good at making paper airplanes, but there's a reason why I do it this way. So if you were a paper airplane, where would you go? Back home, okay? Hazen, where would you go? You don't know anything special you'd like, anything in the world you'd like to see? Yeah. Paris, Ontario? <laughs> oh, France. <laughs> France? Yeah, me too. And what about you, Riley? Uh, Costa Rica. Costa Rica? <laughs> wow. Hawaii, yeah, that's better than home. So if you had this like fantastic airplane, which doesn't really look like an airplane, but trust me, if we had to, it would fly. You would like go like crazy, right? You could go wherever you want, go to Costa Rica, you go to Paris, you go to Hawaii, we could just go back home. But then sometimes planes get into trouble and things happen. And what would happen if you got in trouble and all of a sudden you lost your wings? Uh, what would happen? Uh, right? <laughs> Right? Probably. But you'd probably survive. That's right. You'd probably survive. So, but you know, you might, you might have still like a little bit of wings left. So you might get up, you know, a little bit. You wouldn't be able to fly to Costa Rica anymore. But where else could you go? Uh, into a tree. Okay. I was thinking something more exciting, but okay. Where else would you go? Somewhere closer. Well, something exciting. Like, where would you want to see something like in Ontario? Don't say Windsor is not very exciting. <laughs> really? Me too. <laughs> so where would you go? Niagara Falls, maybe? Canada's Wonderland, maybe? Algonquin Park, maybe? That's where I'm from. And so maybe you might not go as far, but you'd still get there. But then what happens if there's like a big snowstorm or something and you get into trouble again, and then all of a sudden you lose? Uh, 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 uh. Almost all your wings. Well, wait, the roof's gone. You just go, wee! <laughs> you just jump out. <laughs> Down you go again. So, what I want to share with you is that 
we are sometimes like an air, paper airplane. We've got lots of big ideas. We've got lots of things that we want to do. We've got all kinds of exciting things that we want to do in our lives and places we want to go, people we want to see, and things we want to become. But sometimes really bad stuff happens. Sometimes we get really discouraged. Sometimes things don't go the way we want it to go, right? Your whole life is like that? <laughs> well, I have, a, I have a message for you then. And then this message is just for you then, maybe. Because one of the important things that I've always remembered as I've been growing up is that if you look deep inside, when you have, we remember that God loves you, that Jesus loves you so much, and that never, ever changes. Then right in the very middle of who you are, that love always exists and will never go away. <laughs> right? So even through the bad times, you are beloved. And nothing will ever, ever change that. Okay. So even though you might lose your wings and you can't get to Hawaii or Costa Rica or Paris, just know that God has a plan for you, that you are beloved, and that you are blessed every day of your life. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Okay? And that's what I have for you today. So you're going to head downstairs for Sunday school. But we do two things every week before you head down. Do you remember, Derek? The blessing and the prayer. The blessing and the prayer. We'll do the prayer first. I'm not kidding. We'll start with the Lord's Prayer, and then we'll say our blessing. Okay. Let us pray. Our Father, who General Council Youth Pilgrimage is a process of selecting 13 youth, one from each of the 13 conferences, for uh, a summer pilgrimage across the country, learning about the issues of the church in each region, learning about the nuances of the church in each region. It's an opportunity for the conferences to host 
the young people who will be commissioners at general counsel and it's an opportunity for the young people to prepare themselves for general counsel to learn um, how to be a good commissioner once they arrive there. traveled from Gander, Newfoundland to Calgary, Alberta. They stopped for general counsel in Oshawa halfway through, but in each stop in every conference, they were hosted by the conference, and the conference could choose what they wanted to do with their time. So they went to camps, summer camps, and outreach ministries, and visited communities of faith who are doing innovative things, they also um, visited theological schools along the way, um, whatever was important to that conference. I've, I grew up with the church, so I thought it would be a good chance to get involved. And then I heard about the chance to go travel the country, get to meet new people, so I thought it would be a great experience. Um, I just joined the church uh, four years ago, so I really wanted to like know behind the scenes and learn about like more churches more than Newfoundland. So I guess this was a really good opportunity to do that. This is only the second pilgrimage that we've done related to General Council. So the first one was uh, prior to General Council 42. Um, and then this one uh, just prior and including time after General Council 43. It's a, it's a very intense but amazing learning experience. I know it's like a stereotype that Canadians are really um, friendly but it's actually really true and I like that because they make us feel like family every time we visit them and that's really important to me and I'm pretty sure to everybody else. I've been thankful to be a part of both uh, pilgrimages and what I think has been the, the one of the greatest parts is seeing how much support the youth have gained across the country on this journey and in every stop in every conference there's people from local communities, local churches, and faith communities who are excited and ready to welcome the youth into their conference, into their homes and spaces, and to show them what the church means in their context. The 13 youth who traveled three years ago have become very involved in the church and have become church leaders in their own communities. A lot have gone through the discernment process and are uh, becoming or hoping to become ministers in the United Church who are working for the GO project, who are involved in rendezvous planning. They have really become leaders in this church. I'm really excited to see like the United Church evolve as um, the centuries and like decades go by. And uh, I love that they're very accepting of everybody and they're trying to work on like the issues they do have and they're trying to fix everything they've made mistakes in the past. Your gifts to the mission and service of the United Church of Canada help to support programs like this one. Thank you, and please continue to give. The scripture today is from the book of Joel, chapter 2, verses 23 to 32. O children of Zion, be glad and rejoice in the Lord your God for he has given the early rain for your vindication, has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the later rain as before. The threshing floors shall be full of grain, the vats shall overflow with wine and oil.
I will repay you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army, which I sent against you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I, the Lord, am your God, and there is no other. Then afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your older, old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see uh, visions. Even on the male and female slaves in those days, I will pour out my spirit. I will show portents, and I didn't know what that word meant, it means omens, omens in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls the name of the Lord shall be saved. In, for in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. The word of the Lord. How are you today? That's good. My name is Jen, as you've heard a couple of times already. And I am the regional minister for the Christian Church Disciples of Christ in the United States and Canada, region of Canada. So probably why you didn't get my, my whole title, because it's gigantic. So, but I'm, I'm so happy to be here today. I was so pleased. I got to, a chance to see uh, McCall at General Council said a year ago, yep. over a year ago. Um, and we reconnected there after, I guess we, I graduated in 2006, seven. and you seven, yeah, so I was just a year ahead of you, but we took most of our classes together. But I, wanna, I wanted to say thank you for reaching out ecumenically and inviting me here. Um, it's always, a, uh, I don't get a chance to preach all that often anymore because I'm in that, what we call the middle judicatory. So I'm in that middle part of the church that uh, nobody really knows what we do. <laughs> you know, so we kind of run around and check out on things and, and meet people and see how the church is doing and report back and give some folks uh, information to help to undergird the church. Uh, in our polity, in the way that we organize ourselves, we are congregational. So my role is, is uh, really interesting because I don't, um, I ha I'm invited into places, hopefully, and uh, to, to help with strategic planning and to do some other things to build relationship and undergird the work uh, of the local congregation. So we are, our regional ministers and your regional ministers are, are, are similar uh, in a lot of ways. The only difference is, is that I'm also the national head of the church in Canada. So I'm, I have a little bit different role than my, my colleagues in the States, but still uh, we do the work of trying to keep the church connected to itself, uh, both ecumenically and internally. So it's a, I'm glad to be here. For those of you who don't know who the disciples are, for some who might remember union talks with the Anglican Church back in the 70s and 80s, we were part of that conversation as well. It didn't get very far, unfortunately, when we discovered that trilateral talks are probably not the best way to go about these sorts of things, and maybe it's better to do it one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and so we kind of let it rest for a while until we all learned a little bit better how to, to do these, this kind of work. What came up a couple of years ago uh, was that you folks entered into a full communion agreement with the United Church of Christ 
uh, and we have been in full communion with the United Church of Christ for 30 years. So it just made sense then to close that triangle because you folks were the United Church of Christ and we were connected to the United Church of Christ, so now the three of us are all connected together. And I think that there's some amazing work that we're going to be able to do together, things that, that we know how to do, that you folks are just learning about, and things that you do that we're still trying to figure out. And I think together, as I think is what the body is supposed to do, we can integrate more fully and be able to, to help each other in this vital work to which we are called. So we are part of something called the Restoration Movement, which is a North American-based um, uh, movement of the Christian church, started in about 1806 in Kentucky, 1811 in Prince Edward Island, of all places, uh, and then in Ontario, really got rooted in about 1832. So we have walked together and, uh, and traveled together uh, for many, many, many years. I have letters in my files of things that we sent to you folks whenever you were going through union talks. And uh, those are, if you want a funny story, I'll tell you later, but it's, it's a cute little story about what happened there as we, uh, we offered to give you folks a hand with that. So uh, anyway. So it's, it's a beautiful experience, I think, always to be in a congregation. It doesn't matter who you're with to be able to bring a word from God. It's always a humbling experience for me uh, because there are so many things that could be said and yet somehow the Spirit says, this for this day. And I love anniversary services because I'm an, I'm an old church girl at heart and I always love these anniversary services. And I, I want you folks to know, so 161 years is no small feat and you should be very, hopefully, honored and proud of, of that achievement. Believe it or not, the average lifespan of a church is 27 years, okay? So if you are older than 27 years, you have reinvented yourself as many times as 27 fits into your anniversary, right? So changes are coming, always coming, especially in this day and age, but you've already weathered so many. You've already made so many alterations in order to make the gospel something that reaches the ears of people that need it. So congratulations to you. And I want to say I looked over your calendar. You folks are busy, busy. You've got so much going on. I really want to know about Nifty 90s because I think that's the group I would fit best with. <laughs> it just looked good. And you guys seem to eat a lot, so I, I, I like that too. So thank you for the invitation to be here. Let's, let's ask God's blessing and prepare ourselves. God of love and light, thank you for the opportunity to be here. Thank you for your people gathered in this place and all places. Thank you that your presence is among us, even though we are not always confident in that. Thank you for your faithfulness, for your call, for how you prepare us and then send us out to be your body. Bless this time together. Take the words that come from my mouth and the thoughts and the questions of all of our hearts and use them for your glory. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So I'm a big fan of walking around in the dark. But as a child, I don't know if you've experienced this, I was terrified of the dark. I lived in a big old house up near Algonquin Park. 
that was kind of drafty and lots of stuff going on. There were lots of dark corners for things to hide in. I always had a night light. I always had the curtain closed on the windows so that I couldn't see the shadows that might be lurking outside through that thin pane of glass. I'd stick my foot out underneath the covers, but never let it hang over the side of the bed, lest something touch it or grab it in the dark, because that always happens. As I got older and moved away from home, I actually moved from this town of Maple Leaf, Ontario, 150 people, to Toronto. I was terrified, walking home, even though it was well-lit city streets, alone, watching the shadows for someone who was going to jump out and steal my money or attack me, listening intently, trying not to breathe too loud as I speed-walked home, turning around all the time to make sure nobody was following me, waiting for me to stop watching. In the dark, all kinds of things can happen, especially when there's scary music playing. If you watch any movies, no? Okay. The people of Israel in the text that was read for us today have been walking around in the dark for years. They've come through drought and exile, and earlier in the chapter that you can read when you get home, there was a plague of locusts. And they're scared. These people are scared. They are worried. They're listening and watching and nervously waiting for the next bad thing to happen. And they're blaming God for all of the fear and all of the darkness that is around them. In a time before newspapers and modern science and medicine and technology and infrastructure, the only way that they could understand what was happening to them was to attribute it to God. They must have done something wrong to offend God, and this was their punishment, or at least that's the way they were trying to understand it. They huddled together in sorrow and hopelessness, waiting for the axe to fall on them, no longer the joyful people of God. The darkness they exist in is eating away at their faith and their hearts and their peace. I don't know too much about this area of the country. Do we have locusts up here? No, sometimes they've got big grasshoppers maybe, but I don't think we've got the big locusts. So it might be hard for us to understand, unless you've seen the Discovery Channel special, to understand exactly how devastating an attack of locusts can be. And really, this is the big thing that Joel's people are, are really reeling from. Locusts, when they eat, eat absolutely everything. Ooh, that was really loud, sorry. <laughs> everything. They clear cut. Nothing is left, no leaf, no twig, no stem, no grain. And with no plants to hold soil in place and no rain, which was also happening, dirt blows around and sandstorms start and starvation sets in and people start to die. The only thing I could come up with that would be remotely similar, similar would be if there were gigantic herds of deer that swept through this land eating absolutely everything in their wake, gardens, trees, grass, shrubs, everything, or wildfire, which knocked out power and burned all green stuff and closed all the grocery stores and blackened the earth, impending doom for all of us in the days ahead. This is what the people of Israel are thinking about, to put it in our terms. And even in the light of day, I think our hearts would be dark. Our moods would be dark. The future would be in shadow for us, and it would be hard to put on a happy face and thank God for what we had just received. Knowing what we know now, 
with the help of satellite and radar and new developments in theology and science, we know that there are natural occurrences that cause these things to happen. It doesn't come from the hand of God, but so very often from our poor stewardship of the earth. Regardless, darkness would soon become the norm for us, and it'd be awfully hard to sing praise and rejoice in the goodness of our God. Now, this kind of apocalyptic image may not be an impending reality for us right away, but for many of us here today, and myself included, days of late have been dark. There's darkness in many of our hearts and our minds, trouble that we can't seem to shake, that hangs about us like rags, that drags us down. Maybe it's declining attendance in congregations. Maybe it's closing churches. Maybe it's loneliness or illness. Maybe it's family trouble or words that have hurt us. Maybe it's fear of the unknown or challenges that we face either alone or as a family or even as a congregation or a community of faith. Whatever it is, we all have dark days and months and unfortunately years. It's not a place we like to be. But for many of us, the future is not full of bright lights and shining stars. It's cloudy and ominous. But this passage that we read today is not a message of despondency, nor is it a nail in the coffin of our future. It actually is a message of hope, of renewal and joy. For God does not leave the people of Israel in darkness, but joy, Joel declares is pouring down not just rain, but abundant rain, lots of it, that will bring about abundant crops and overflowing vats. Hearts will be full again. Praise will rise again from one once parched lips, and the shame that they felt at the hands of their neighbors and their enemies, that their God had abandoned them, that shame would be removed, and they will shine with joy and scatter the darkness around them. And not only them, the text says, but all of the earth, all of the earth, all the people then and now and throughout the limitless future will know the power and love and light of God. And God says, I will pour out my spirit on who? Not just on one or two, but all flesh. All flesh. There will be no end to the pouring out of God's abundant spirit. There's no limit unto whom it will land. And all flesh, all folks will bathe in that refreshing and night shattering light. This is good news. This is a message of hope for all of us. No matter what we are facing today or in the days to come, no matter what we face in our own personal lives or in the context of our families or in this community of faith, no matter how dark it is where we stand right now, this promise that God gives to all shines like stars in a midnight sky, like a candle set high on a stand, like a lighthouse in the depths of a storm. Fear is one of the greatest challenges we face as Christians. Fear has the power to render us completely helpless. 
Fear has the power to suck the life out of us and make us cower on the floor like little pools of jelly. Fear makes us distrust each other, attack each other, defame each other. Fear alienates us and separates and marginalizes and impress, uh, oppresses. Fear causes us to blame each other for our own shortcomings. Fear causes us to blame God when things get dark. But friends, the power that we're talking about here is Pentecost power. This is new life. The power we're talking about here in this passage is that Joel so emphatically proclaims to the people of Israel and to all generations that will come after for time immemorial is that no longer, no longer is fear the master of the universe. No longer is fear in control. There is something far greater, far stronger God's shalom, God's peace, which comes to us, all of us, in the form of the Spirit, which never leaves us or forsakes us. Amen? Which empowers us to be light in darkness, which opens our eyes to see beauty in darkness, light among the shadows, flame among the ashes. But this power, this shalom, this peace is shrouded unless we turn to God, that word we don't like so much, repent, to turn around from one way to face another, give up our dependency on fear because we do it all the time. Fear keeps us from being amazing all the time. And instead of predicting trouble, we begin to predict possibility. What if it doesn't actually all go wrong? What if it all goes right? What if there is not hopelessness, but hope? What if it isn't just doom and gloom and we're inevitably going to close all of the congregations? What if actually new things are happening? Are we predicting trouble or are we predicting possibility? I don't know about you, but I like to walk in the dark now. Each night I close the lights ahead of myself as I walk through the house. I enjoy these quiet moments when nobody else is around. My, my kids are grown and, grown and flown, and all I have to worry about is tripping over my little dog now. But I close the living room lights, and I stare out the window at the leaves blowing, the street lights on my quiet street. I gaze out the window, and I look to see how light dances and shadows move how it animates a stillness, reflecting back the light of the moon sometimes even. I walk in darkness down the hallway and into my bedroom with no light, knowing where everything is more or less, sometimes stubbing my toes or whacking my knees, but remembering for the next time where that something is. I when I walk in the dark, retrain my vision to catch the subtle play of light in the darkness. And I marvel at how shadows of leaves on curtains and the movement of headlights as they travel down the road don't scare me anymore, but bring awe and wonder. Folks, as Christ's church, we need to retrain our vision, for there will always be darkness around us. 
Instead of enjoying the night sky, we forsake the soothing twinkle of stars and moonbeam and become prisoners of the dark, cowering in needless worry and fear about what might be. If we don't turn toward hope and carry the light of God's promise in our hearts and allow spirit to shine in our lives, we will destroy this earth and ourselves, and we will become incapacitated and unable to shine at all. One great writer says, what would happen if we were to become re-enchanted with the world that God has made rather than being habitually disenchanted with it? and ourselves. Disciples theologian Ronald Allen, who many of you may have read, actually you probably read some of Ronald Allen's stuff because we studied it in, in seminary, writes this prayer. A living God, you dwell in clouds and thick darkness. We lift our eyes to the night sky and sense depth and fullness beyond our grasp. You freed your children from Egyptian bondage under the security of nightfall. When you were born, the star, the star came in the night heavens. A man of color carried your cross. You made your pure sacrifice of love in the midday darkness. Rain falls from black clouds. Babies grow in uterine shadows. Prophets speak in ebony voices. Treasures of darkness. Help us receive them as riches from you. Without the dark, friends, how can we see light? But if we deny the light and choose instead darkness, if we instead choose fear, how can we, bearers of Christ's light, ever hope to help others and be filled with this same light? Friends, as you embark on your 162nd year of ministry, faithful ministry in this community. May you be bearers of light in the shadow. May you not fear any kind of darkness, but realize that you have all you need. You are called, you are fed, equipped, and sent into the world to be light. Thanks be to God. O Holy One, creator of all, your spirit stirs in us today meeting us in those pots that feel empty, where we ache, where we long. You bring us the promise of life and abundance, of comfort, of peace. We thank you for all the blessings that fill our lives, for family and friends, for memories of those who have gone before us, for being a part, whether it is each week or just today, of this community of faith as we celebrate 161 years, as we celebrate the ways that your spirit guides us in reinventing ourselves again and again and again as we walk in the path of Christ. Help us, O oh God, to be ever mindful of the rich blessings that fill our lives. We pray, O oh God, for Bill Pentland. We pray for the family of Claire Rogers. May we celebrate his life and the memories we hold dear. May the good things in him live on in us. We pray for the Greenwood family. We pray for the people of California as they deal with wildfires. We pray for Pat Hayes, 
We pray, O God, that we may be a source of healing and comfort to one another, that we may shine your light into all the places that feel dark, that we may continue to allow your spirit to flow through us as we live and celebrate your presence as Grace United Church in our communities and in our homes throughout this wonderful world of yours. We pray all this in Jesus' name as we offer you our individual prayers aloud or in silence. We pour out these prayers to you, O God, joining them with the prayers of all creation, as together we say, Amen. Friends, as we go from here, may the song of God rise up in us and pour out into this world the song of hope, the song of love, the song that reminds us that we are all children and beloved of God, a blessing to bless one another. Go in love, go in peace, and go with God. Amen.